0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And July for us this year is Jack London Month. The story today, Brown Wolf, by Jack London. And now, our story. She had delayed, because of the dew-wet grass, in order to put on her overshoes. And when she emerged from the house, she found her waiting husband absorbed in the wonder of a bursting almond bud. "'She sent a questing glance across the tall grass "'and in and out among the orchard trees. "'Where's Wolf?' she asked. "'He was here a moment ago. "'Walt Irving drew himself away with a jerk "'from the metaphysics and poetry of the organic miracle of Blossom "'and surveyed the landscape. "'He was running a rabbit the last I saw of him. "'Wolf, Wolf, here, Wolf,' she called, "'as they left the clearing and took the trail "'that led down through the waxen-belled Manzanita jungle "'to the county road.' Irving thrust between his lips the little finger of each hand and lent to her efforts a shrill whistling. She covered her ears hastily and made a wry grimace. "'My, for a poet! Delicately attuned and all the rest of it, you can make unlovely noises. My eardrums are pursed. You out-whistle!' Orpheus. "'I was about to say a street-Arab,' she concluded severely. "'Poesy does not prevent one from being practical. At least it doesn't prevent me.' "'Mine is no futility of genius that can't sell gems to the magazines.' He assumed a mock extravagance, and went on. "'I am no attic singer, no ballroom warbler. "'And why? Because I am practical. "'Mine is no squalor of song that can't transmute itself, "'with proper exchange value, into a flower-crowned cottage, "'a sweet mountain meadow, a grove of redwoods, "'an orchard of thirty-seven trees, "'one long row of blackberries and two short rows of strawberries.' to say nothing of a quarter of a mile of gurgling brook. Oh, that all your song transmutations were as successful? She laughed. Name one that wasn't. Those two beautiful sonnets that you transmitted into the cow that was accounted the worst milker in the township. She was beautiful, he began. But she didn't give milk, Madge interrupted. But she was beautiful now, wasn't she? He insisted. And here's where beauty and utility fall out. Was her reply. And there's Wolf! From the thicket covered hillside came a crashing of underbrush, and then, forty feet above them, on the edge of the sheer wall of rock, appeared a wolf's head and shoulders. His braced forepaws dislodged a pebble, and with short pricked ears and peering eyes, he watched the fall of the pebble till it struck at their feet. Then he transferred his gaze and with open mouth laughed down at them. You, Wolf! You! And you, blessed Wolf! the man and woman called out to him. "'The ears flattened back and down at the sound, "'and the head seemed to struggle under the caress of an invisible hand. "'They watched him scramble backward into the thicket, "'then proceeded on their way. Several minutes later, rounding a turn in the trail "'where the descent was less precipitous, "'he joined them in the midst of a miniature avalanche "'of pebbles and loose soil. "'He was not demonstrative. "'A pat and a rub around the ears from the man "'and a more prolonged caressing from the woman, "'and he was away down the trail in front of them, gliding effortlessly over the ground in true wolf fashion. In build and coat and brush he was a huge timber wolf, but the lie was given to his wolfhood by his color and marking. There the dog unmistakably advertised itself. No wolf was ever colored like him. He was brown, deep brown, red brown, an orgy of browns. Back and shoulders were a warm brown that paled on the sides, and underneath to a yellow that was dingy because of the brown that lingered in it. The white of the throat and paws and the spots over the eyes was dirty because of the persistent and irredicable brown, while the eyes themselves were twin topazes, golden and brown. The man and woman loved the dog very much. Perhaps this was because it had been such a task to win his love. It had been no easy matter when he first drifted in mysteriously out of nowhere to the little mountain cottage. footsore sore and famished, he had killed a rabbit under their very noses and under their very windows. And then crawled away and slept by the spring at the foot of the blackberry bushes. When Walt Irvine went down to inspect the intruder, he was snarled at for his pains, and Madge likewise was snarled at when she went down to present, as a peace offering, a large pan of bread and milk. A most unsociable dog he proved to be, resenting all their advances, refusing to let them lay hands on him, menacing them with bared fangs and bristling hair. Nevertheless, he remained, sleeping and resting by the spring and eating the food they gave him after they set it down at a safe distance and retreated. His wretched physical condition explained why he lingered, and when he had recuperated, after several days' sojourn, he disappeared. And this would have been the end of him, so far as Irvine and his wife were concerned, had not Irvine at that particular time been called away into the northern part of the state. Biding along on the train, near the line between California and Oregon, he chanced to look out of the window and saw his unsociable guest "'sliding along the wagon road, brown and wolfish, tired yet tireless, "'dust covered and soiled with two hundred miles of travel. "'Now Irvine was a man of impulse, a poet. "'He got off the train at the next station, bought a piece of meat at a butcher shop, "'and captured the vagrant on the outskirts of the town. "'The return trip was made in the luggage car, "'and so Wolf came a second time to the mountain cottage. "'Here he was tied up for a week and made love to by the man and the woman.' But it was very circumspect love making. Remote and alien as a traveler from another planet, he snarled down their soft spoken love words. He never barked, and all the time they had him, he was never known to bark. To win him became a problem. Irvine liked problems. He had a metal plate made on which was stamped, Return to Walt Irvine, Glen Ellen, Sonoma County, California. This was riveted to a collar and strapped about the dog's neck. Then he was turned loose, and promptly, he disappeared. A day later came a telegram from Mendocino County. In 20 hours, he had made over a 100 miles to the north, and was still going when captured. He came back by Wells Fargo Express, was tied up three days, and was loosed on the fourth, and lost again. This time, he gained southern Oregon before he was caught and returned. Always, as soon as he received his liberty, he fled away, and always he fled north. "'he was possessed of an obsession that drove him north. "'The homing instinct, Irvine called it, "'after he had expended the selling price of a sonnet "'in getting the animal back from northern Oregon. "'Another time the brown wanderer succeeded "'in traversing half the length of California, "'all of Oregon, and most of Washington, "'before he was picked up and returned collect. "'A remarkable thing was the speed with which he traveled. "'Fed up and rested, as soon as he was loosed, "'he devoted all his energy to getting over the ground.' On the first day's run, he was known to cover as high as 150 miles, and after that he would average 100 miles a day until caught. He always arrived back lean and hungry and savage, and always departed fresh and vigorous, cleaving his way northward in response to some prompting of his being that no one could understand. We'll return to our story, The Brown Wolf, right after these sponsor messages And now, back to our story, Brown Wolf, by Jack London. But at last, after a futile year of flight, he accepted the inevitable and elected to remain at the cottage where first he had killed the rabbit and slept by the spring. Even after that, a long time elapsed before the man and woman succeeded in patting him. It was a great victory, for they alone were allowed to put hands on him. He was fastidiously exclusive, and no guest at the cottage ever succeeded in making up to him. A low growl greeted such approach. If anyone had the hardihood to come nearer, the lips lifted, the naked fangs appeared, and the growl became a snarl, a snarl so terrible and malignant that it awed the stoutest of them, as it likewise awed the farmer's dogs that knew ordinary dog-snarling, but had never seen a wolf-snarling before. He was without antecedents. His history began with Walton Madge. He had come up from the South "'but never a clue did they get of the owner "'from whom he had evidently fled. "'Mrs. Johnson, their nearest neighbor "'and one who supplied them with milk, "'proclaimed him a Klondike dog. "'Her brother was burrowing for frozen pastries in that far country, "'and so she constituted herself an authority "'on the subject. "'But they did not dispute her. "'There were the tips of Wolf's ears, "'obviously so severely frozen at some time "'that they would never quite heal again. "'Besides,' He looked like the photographs of the Alaskan dogs they saw published in magazines and newspapers. They often speculated over his past, and tried to conjure up, from what they'd read and heard, what his Northland life had been. That the Northland still drew him, they knew, for at night they sometimes heard him crying softly. And when the North wind blew, and the bite of the frost was in the air, a great restlessness would come upon him, and he would lift a mournful lament which they knew to be the long wolf howl. Yet he never barked. "'No provocation was great enough "'to draw from him that canine cry. "'Long discussion they had "'during the time of Winningham, "'as to whose dog he was. "'Each claimed him, "'and each proclaimed loudly "'any expression of affection made by him. "'But the man had the better of it at first, "'chiefly because he was a man. "'It was patent that Wolf had "'had no experience with women. "'He did not understand women. Madge's skirts were something "'he never quite accepted.' "'The swish of them was enough to set him a bristle with suspicion, "'and on a windy day she couldn't approach him at all. "'On the other hand, it was Madge who fed him. "'Also it was she who ruled the kitchen, "'and it was by her favor and her favor alone "'that he was permitted to come within that sacred precinct. "'It was because of these things that she bade fair "'to overcome the handicap of her garments. "'Then it was that Walt put forth special effort, "'making it a practice to have Wolf lie at his feet while he wrote.' and between petting and talking, losing much time from his work. Walt won in the end, and his victory was most probably due to the fact that he was a man, though Madge averred that they would have had another quarter of a mile of gurgling brook, and at least two west winds sighing through their redwoods. Had Walt properly devoted his energies to song transmutation and left Wolf alone to exercise a natural taste and an unbiased judgment? "'It's about time I heard from these triolettes,' Walt said, after a silence of five minutes." "'during which they had swung steadily down the trail. "'There will be a check at the post office, I know, "'and will transmute it into beautiful buckwheat flour, "'a gallon of maple syrup, "'and a new pair of overshoes for you. "'And into beautiful milk from Mrs. Johnson's beautiful cow,' Madge added. "'Tomorrow's the first of the month, you know.' Walt scowled unconsciously. "'Then his face brightened, "'and he clapped his hand to his breast pocket. "'Never mind. "'I have here a nice, beautiful new cow,' the best milker in California. When did you write it? She demanded eagerly, then reproachfully, and you never showed it to me? I saved it to read you on the way to the post office, in a spot remarkably like this one, he answered, indicating, with a wave of his hand, a dry log on which to sit. A tiny stream flowed out of a dense fern break, slipped down a mossy-lipped stone, and ran across the path at their feet. From the valley rose the mellow song of meadow larks, while about them, in and out, through sunshine and shadow, fluttered great yellow butterflies. Up from below came another sound that broke in upon Walt, reading softly from his manuscript. It was a crunching of heavy feet, punctuated now and again by the cluttering of a displaced stone. As Walt finished and looked to his wife for approval, a man came into view around the turn of the trail. He was bareheaded and sweaty. With a handkerchief in one hand he mopped his face, well, on the other hand he carried a new hat and wilted starched collar which he had removed from his neck. He was a well-built man, and his muscles seemed on the point of bursting out of the painfully new and ready-made black clothes he wore. "'Warm day!' Walt greeted him. Walt believed in country democracy and never missed an opportunity to practice it. The man paused and nodded. Oh, I guess I ain't much used to the warm,' he vouchsafed half-apologetically. "'I'm more accustomed to zero weather.' "'You don't find any of that in this country,' Walt laughed. "'Should say not,' the man answered. "'I ain't here looking for it neither. "'I'm trying to find my sister. "'Maybe you know where she lives. "'Her name's Johnson, Mrs. William Johnson.' "'You're not her Klondike brother,' Madge cried, "'her eyes bright with interest. "'About whom we've heard so much?' "'Yes, am "'Sounds like me,' he answered modestly.' "'My name's Miller, Skiff Miller. I just thought I'd surprise her.' "'You're on the right track, then, only you've come by the footpath.' Madge stood up to direct him, pointing up the canyon a quarter of a mile. "'You see that blasted redwood? Take the little trail turning off to the right. It's the shortcut to her house. You can't miss it.' "'Well, thank you, ma'am,' he said. He made tentative efforts to go, but seemed awkwardly rooted to the spot. He was gazing at her with an open admiration of which he was quite unconscious, and which was drowning, along with him, in the rising sea of embarrassment in which he floundered. "'We'd like to hear you tell about the Klondike,' Madge said. "'Mayn't we come over some day while you were at your sister's? Or better yet, won't you come over and have dinner with us?' "'Yes, thank you, ma'am,' he mumbled mechanically. Then he caught himself up and added, "'I ain't stopping long. I got to be pulling north again. I go out on tonight's train.' "'You see, I got a mail contract with the government.' "'When Badges said that that was too bad, "'he made another futile effort to go. "'But he couldn't take his eyes from her face. "'He forgot his embarrassment and his admiration, "'and it was her turn to flush and feel uncomfortable. "'It was at this juncture, "'when Walt had just decided it was time for him "'to be saying something to relieve the strain, "'that Wolf, who had been away nosing through the brush, "'trotted wolf-like into view.' "'Skiff Miller's abstraction disappeared. "'The pretty woman before him passed out of his field of vision. "'He had eyes only for the dog, and a great wonder came into his face. "'Well, I'll be hanged,' he enunciated slowly and solemnly. "'He sat down ponderingly on the log, leaving Madge standing. "'At the sound of his voice, Wolf's ears had flattened down, "'then his mouth had opened in a laugh. Wolf trotted slowly up to the stranger "'and first smelled his hands "'and then licked them with his tongue. "'Skiff Miller patted the dog's head "'and slowly and solemnly repeated, "'Well, I'll be hanged.' "'Excuse me, ma'am,' he said the next moment. "'I was just surprised some, that was all.' "'We're surprised, too,' she answered lightly. "'We never saw a wolf make up to a stranger before.' "'Is that what you call him, wolf?' the man asked. Madge nodded. "'But I can't understand his friendliness toward you, unless it's because you're from the Klondike. He's a Klondike dog, you know.' "'Yes, am Miller said absently. He lifted one of Wolf's forelegs and examined the footpads, pressing them and denting them with his thumb. "'Kinder soft,' he remarked. "'He ain't been on the trail for a while.' "'I say,' Walt broke in, "'it's remarkable the way he lets you handle him. Skiff Miller arose, no longer awkward with admiration of Madge, and in a sharp, business-like manner asked, How long you had him? But just then the dog, squirming and rubbing against the newcomer's legs, opened his mouth and barked. It was an explosive bark, brief and joyous. But it was a bark. That's a new one on me, Skiff Miller remarked. Walt and Madge stared at each other. The miracle had happened. Wolf had barked. ''It's the first time he ever barked,'' Madge said. First time I ever heard him, too,'' Miller volunteered. Madge smiled at him. The man was evidently a humorist. ''Of course,'' she said, ''since you've only seen him for five minutes.'' Skiff Miller looked at her sharply, seeing in her face the guile her words led him to suspect. ''I thought you understood,'' he said slowly. ''I thought you'd tumbled to it from his making up to me.'' He's my dog. His name ain't Wolf. It's Brown. Oh, Walt, was Madge's instinctive cry to her husband. Walt was on the defensive at once. How do you know he's your dog? He demanded. Because he is, was the reply. Mere assertion, Walt said sharply. In his slow and pondering way, Skiff Miller looked at him, then asked, with a nod of his head toward Madge, "'How do you know she's your wife?' "'You just say, because she is. "'And I'll say it's mere assertion. "'The dog's mine. "'I bred him and raised him, "'and I guess I ought to know. "'Look here, I'll prove it to you.' "'Skiff Miller turned to the dog. "'Brown!' "'His voice rang out sharply, "'and at the sound the dog's ears "'flattened down as to a caress. "'Gee!' "'The dog made a swinging turn to the right. "'Now mush on!' and the dog seized his swing abruptly and started straight ahead, halting obediently at command. "'I can do it with whistles,' Skiff Miller said proudly. "'He was my lead dog.' "'But you're not going to take him away with you?' Madge asked, tremulously. The man nodded. "'Back into that awful Klondike world of suffering?' He nodded and added, "'Oh, it ain't so bad as all that. Look at me. Pretty healthy specimen, ain't I?' "'But the dogs, the terrible hardship, the heartbreaking toil, the starvation, the frost. Oh, I've read about them, and I know.' "'I nearly ate him once, over on Little Fish River,' Miller volunteered grimly. "'If I hadn't got a moose that day, was all that saved him.' "'I'd have died first before eating a dog,' Madge cried. "'Things is different down here,' Miller explained. "'You don't have to eat dogs.' "'You think different just about the time you're all in. "'You've never been all in, "'so you don't know anything about it.' "'That's the very point,' she argued warmly. "'Dogs are not eaten in California. "'Why not leave him here? "'He's happy. "'He'll never want for food. "'You know that. "'He'll never suffer from cold and hardship. "'Here all is softness and gentleness. "'Neither the human nor nature is savage. "'He will never know a whiplash again.' "'And as for the weather, why, it never snows here.' "'But it's all fired hot in summer, begging your pardon,' "'Skiff Miller laughed. "'But you do not answer,' Madge continued passionately. "'What have you to offer him in that Northland life?' "'Grub, when I got it, and that's most of the time,' "'came the answer. "'And the rest of the time?' "'No grub.' "'And the work?' "'Yes, plenty of work.' "'Miller blurted out impatiently. "'Work without end, and famine, and frost, and all the rest of the miseries. "'That's what he'll get when he comes with me. "'But he likes it. He's used to it. He knows that life. "'He was born to it, and brought up to it. "'And you don't know anything about it. "'You don't know what you're talking about. "'That's where the dog belongs, and that's where he'll be happiest.' "'The dog doesn't go,' Walt announced in a determined voice. "'so there's no need of further discussion. "'What's that?' "'Skiff Miller demanded, "'big brows lowering "'and an obstinate flush of blood "'reddening his forehead. "'I said, "'the dog doesn't go, "'and that settles it. "'I don't believe he's your dog. "'You may have seen him some time. "'You may even some time have driven him, "'for his owner, "'but his obeying the ordinary driving commands "'of the Alaskan Trail "'is no demonstration that he's yours. "'Any dog in Alaska would obey you "'as he just did.' Besides, he is undoubtedly a valuable dog, as dogs go in Alaska, and that is sufficient explanation of your desire to get possession of him. Anyway, you got to prove property. Skiff Miller, cool and collected, the obstinate flush a trifle deeper on his forehead, his huge muscles bulging under the black cloth of his coat, carefully looked the poet up and down as though measuring the strength of his slenderness. The Klondiker's face took on a contemptuous expression as he said finally, "'I reckon there's nothing in sight "'to prevent me from taking the dog right here and now.' "'Walt's face reddened, "'and the striking muscles of his arms and shoulders "'seemed to stiffen and grow tense. "'His wife fluttered apprehensively into the breach. "'Maybe Mr. Miller is right,' she said. "'I'm afraid that he is. "'Wolf does seem to know him, "'and certainly he answers to the name of Brown. "'He made friends with him instantly, "'and you know that's something "'he never did with anybody before. "'Besides,' Look at the way he barked. He was just bursting with joy. Joy over what? Without a doubt, finding Mr. Miller. Walt's striking muscles relaxed, and his shoulders seemed to droop with hopelessness. I guess you're right, Madge, he said. Wolf isn't Wolf, but Brown, and he must belong to Mr. Miller. Perhaps Mr. Miller will sell him, she suggested. We can buy him. "'Skiff Miller shook his head, no longer belligerent, but kindly, "'quick to be generous in response to the generousness. "'I had five dogs,' he said, "'casting about for the easiest way to temper his refusal. "'He was the leader. "'They was the crack team of Alaska. "'Nothing could touch them. "'In ninety-eight I refused five thousand dollars for the bunch. "'Dogs was high then, anyway, "'but that wasn't what made the fancy price. "'It was the team itself.' "'Brown was the best in the team. "'That winter I refused 1200 for him. "'I didn't sell him then. "'And I ain't a selling him now. "'Besides, I think a mighty lot of that dog. "'I've been looking for him for three years. "'It made me fair sick when I found out he'd been stole, "'and the value of him. "'But, well, I liked him so, that's all. "'I couldn't believe my eyes when i seen him just now. "'I thought I was dreaming. "'It was too good to be true. "'Why, well, I was his nurse.' I put him to bed, snug every night. His mother died, and I brought him up on condensed milk at two dollars a can when I couldn't afford it my own coffee. He never knew any mother but me. He used to suck my finger regular, that darn little pup. That finger right there. And Skiff Miller, too overwrought for speech, held up a forefinger for them to see. That very finger, he managed to articulate, as though it somehow clinched the proof of ownership and the bond of affection. He was still gazing at his extended finger when Madge began to speak. "'But the dog,' she said. "'You haven't considered the dog.' Skiff Miller looked puzzled. "'Have you thought about him?' she asked. "'I don't know what you're driving at,' was his response. "'Maybe the dog has some choice in the matter,' Madge went on. "'Maybe he has his likes and desires. "'You haven't considered him. "'You give him no choice.' It's never entered your mind that he possibly might prefer California to Alaska. You consider only what you like. You do with him as you would with a sack of potatoes or a bale of hay. This was a new way of looking at it, and Miller was visibly impressed as he debated it in his mind. Madge took advantage of his indecision. If you really love him, what would be happiness to him would be your happiness also, she urged. Skiff Miller continued to debate with himself. And Madge stole a glance of exultation to her husband, who looked back warm approval. What do you think? The Klondiker suddenly demanded. It was her turn to be puzzled. What do you mean? She asked. Do you think he'd sooner stay in California? She nodded her head with positiveness. I'm sure of it. Skiff Miller again debated with himself, though this time aloud. At the same time, running his gaze in a judicial way over the mooted animal. "'He was a good worker. he done a heap of work for me. He never loafed on me, and he was a Joe dandy at hammering a raw team into shape. He got a head on him. He can do everything but talk. He knows what you say to him. Look at him now. He knows we're talking about him.' The dog was lying at Skiff Miller's feet, head close down on paws, ears erect and listening, and eyes that were quick and eager to follow the sound of speech as it fell from the lips of first one and then the other.' "'and there's a lot of work in him yet. "'He's good for years to come, and I do like him.' "'Once or twice after that, Skiff Miller opened his mouth "'and closed it again without speaking. "'And finally he said, "'I'll tell you what I'll do. "'Your remarks, ma'am, has some weight in him. "'The dog's worked hard, and maybe he's earned a soft berth "'and has got a right to choose. "'Anyway, let's leave it up to him. "'Whatever he says goes. "'You people stay right here, sitting down.' "'I'll say goodbye and walk off casual-like. "'If he wants to stay, he can stay. "'If he wants to come with me, let him come. "'I won't call him to come, and don't you call him to come back.' "'He looked with sudden suspicion at Madge and added, "'Only you must play fair. "'No persuading after my back is turned.' "'We'll play fair,' Madge began, "'but Skiff Miller broke in on her assurances. "'I know the ways of women,' he announced. Their hearts is soft. When their hearts is touched, they're likely to stack the cards, look at the bottom of the deck, and lie. Begging your pardon, ma'am. I'm only discoursing about women in general. I don't know how to thank you, Madge quavered. I don't see as you've got any call to thank me, he replied. Brown ain't decided yet. Now you won't mind if I go away slow. It's no more than fair, seeing I'll be out of sight inside a hundred yards. Madge agreed and added, and I promise you faithfully that we won't do anything to influence him. Well then, I might as well be getting along, Skiff Miller said in the ordinary tones of one departing. At this change in his voice, Wolf lifted his head quickly, and still more quickly got to his feet when the man and woman shook hands. He sprang up on his hind legs, resting his forepaws on her hip, and at the same time licking Skiff Miller's hand. When the latter shook hands with Walt, Wolf repeated his act, "'resting his weight on Walt "'and licking both men's hands. "'It ain't no picnic, I can tell you that,' "'were the Klondiker's last words, "'and he turned and went slowly up the trail. "'For the distance of twenty feet, "'Wolf watched him go, "'himself all eagerness and expectancy, "'as though waiting for the man to turn "'and retrace his steps. "'Then, with a quick, low whine, "'Wolf sprang after him, overtook him, caught his hand between his teeth with reluctant tenderness and strove gently to make him pause. Failing in this, Wolf raced back to where Walt Irvine sat, catching his coat sleeve in his teeth and trying vainly to drag him after the retreating man. Wolf's perturbation began to wax. He desired ubiquity. He wanted to be in two places at the same time, with the old master and the new, and steadily the distance between them was increasing. He sprang about excitedly, making short, nervous leaps and twists, now toward one, now toward the other, in painful indecision, not knowing his own mind, desiring both and unable to choose, uttering quick, sharp whines and beginning to pant. He sat down abruptly on his haunches, thrusting his nose upward, the mouth opening and closing with jerking movements, each time opening wider. These jerking movements were in unison with the recurrent spasms that attacked the throat, "'each spasm severer and more intense than the preceding one. "'And in accord with jerks and spasms the larynx began to vibrate, "'at first silently, accompanied by the rush of air expelled from the lungs, "'then sounding a low, deep note, "'the lowest in the register of the human ear. "'All this was the nervous and muscular preliminary to howling. "'But just as the howl was on the verge of bursting from the full throat, "'the wide-open mouth was closed, the paroxysm ceased.' and he looked long and steadily at the retreating man. Suddenly Wolf turned his head, and over his shoulder just as steadily regarded Walt. The appeal was unanswered. Not a word nor a sign did the dog receive, no suggestion and no clue as to what his conduct should be. A glance ahead to where the old master was nearing the curve of the trail excited him again. He sprang to his feet with a whine, and then, struck by a new idea, "'turned his attention to Madge. "'Hitherto he had ignored her, "'but now, both masters failing him, "'she alone was left. "'He went over to her and snuggled his head in her lap, "'nudging her arm with his nose, "'an old trick of his when begging for favors. "'He backed away from her "'and began writhing and twisting playfully, "'curveting and prancing, "'half-rearing and striking his forepaws to the earth, "'struggling with all his body, "'from the wheedling eyes and flattening ears "'to the wagging tail.' "'to express the thought that was in him "'and that was denied him utterance. "'This, too, he soon abandoned. "'He was depressed by the coldness of these humans "'who had never been cold before. "'No response could he draw from them. "'No help could he get. "'They did not consider him. "'They were as dead. "'He turned and silently gazed after the old master. "'Skiff Miller was rounding the curb. "'In a moment he would be gone from view. "'Yet he never turned his head.' Plodding straight onward, slowly and methodically, as though possessed of no interest in what was occurring behind his back. And in this fashion, he went out of view. Wolf waited for him to reappear. He waited a long minute, silently, quietly, without movement, as though turned to stone. Withal, stone quick and with eagerness and desire. He barked once and waited. Then he turned and trotted back to Walt Irvine. He sniffed his hand. "'and dropped down heavily at his feet, "'watching the trail where it curved "'emptily from view. "'The tiny stream slipping down "'the mossy-lipped stone seemed suddenly "'to increase the volume of its gurgling noise. "'Save for the meadow-larks, "'there was no other sound. "'The great yellow butterflies "'drifted silently through the sunshine "'and lost themselves in the drowsy shadows. "'Madge gazed triumphantly "'at her husband. "'A few minutes later, "'Wolf got upon his feet.' "'Decision and deliberation marked his movements. "'He did not glance at the man and the woman. "'His eyes were fixed up the trail. "'He had made up his mind. "'They knew it, "'and they knew, so far as they were concerned, "'that the ordeal had just begun. "'He broke into a trot, "'and Madge's lips pursed, "'forming an avenue for the caressing sound "'that it was the will of her to send forth. "'But the caressing sound was not made. "'She was impelled to look at her husband,' and she saw the sternness with which he watched her. The pursed lips relaxed, and she sighed inaudibly. Wolf's trot broke into a run. Wider and wider were the leaps he made. Not once did he turn his head, his wolf's brush standing straight out behind him. He cut sharply across the curve of the trail, and was gone. Thank you for joining us for Brown Wolf by Jack London. We appreciate reviews, especially you Apple listeners, for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and Stitcher listeners, too. If you have a chance, please do send us a review. We appreciate that, and it helps new listeners find us. We'll return with a brand new episode next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.